Well, we're in our second week in this series called Generous. And so uh, I would encourage you to grab your Bible if you aren't already at 1 Timothy 6. We love it when you look on the page with us and follow along to see what God is doing and what were the texts we're talking about today. Last week, uh, I, we started this series uh, called Generous, and we talked a little bit. I talked a little bit about my fear in doing a series on generosity, um, a little bit because every one of us has an experience with you know, churches manipulating people, asking for more and more money, passing the baskets twice, that whole deal. And instead we want to talk about, rather than guilt or manipulation, we simply want to talk about generosity. And the way I la- left the sermon last week was by talking about this little prop that I have here, and I, I brought it back to connect last week's sermon to this week's sermon. This is the uh, r- rocking around the Christmas tree, dancing Christmas tree, that if you remember from last week... That's awesome. Um, if you remember from last week, my wife purchased this um, because uh, it made her cry because my father at the nursing home used to love this and Olivia used to dance with it. And I talked about with this Christmas tree last week about how as the one who provided the resources for the purchase of this Christmas tree in our family, how much joy it brought me when I saw my daughter Olivia just celebrating and dancing with this silly little tree. But what brought me more joy was when Olivia, who is two, shared this with her little brother Malachi, who was one. And the two of them did the naked dance around the street together. And, uh, and just how much joy it was when my two-year-old reflected my heart to my one-year-old. That's where I left us last week. And that's where I want to pick up this week. Last week we talked about how generous God is. He, we have an incredible incredibly generous God. He's generous in two ways I highlighted last week. In the gospel, he's generous in us that his mercy and grace overflow to us freely, that God, the almighty God, would become one of us in Jesus. This flows to us that we could find forgiveness. We talked about also how God richly provides everything for our enjoyment. And so I hope last week, after you left here, you went and enjoyed a steak or lunch or whatever and enjoyed God's generosity to you. But today what we want to say is God is a generous God, so we should be a generous people. In in our five-step plan as a church, we're in step two. Step one was stop and be dependent upon God. So we did this four four forty, where we prayed every day at four o'clock and, and we did a 40-hour fast in there. We just said, God, without you, we're nothing. And now we're in step two. Step two, this idea of walk. How do I walk as a follower of Jesus? And really, it's appropriate that we would talk about how we would spend God's money. And so who doesn't want to be disobedient? Who do- Who wants to be disobedient? Who doesn't want to be obedient? Who doesn't want to follow the teachings of Jesus? If I were to say to any one of you, well, you're a follower of Christ, do you want to just be disobedient? Yes, that's my goal, to be a disobedient follower of Jesus. Nobody wants that. We all want to know what Jesus asks of us. And that's the point of this series of generosity. We saw God is a generous God with us. Now today we want to see how can we be a generous people. Jesus said, I do what I see my father doing. Shouldn't we too? We've seen how God is generous. How can we be like him? We can be like God when we're generous with his resources. After all, as I pointed out last week, we are merely money managers. We are merely money managers of God's resources. The tough thing is to get that concept into our head that everything we have 
is God's, not ours. This is such a tough concept to get. Uh, I even, last week, during my sermon, you guys are a lot smarter and quicker than I am, because during my sermon last week, as I was holding up this Christmas tree, at one point I said, my wife went to Walgreens and she spent my money on this dumb Christmas tree. And then everyone went, ooh, Dave, that's not a good thing to say at all. And I quickly corrected myself, I spent our money on this Christmas tree. And then I heard you all say, hey, dummy, God's money. Like I heard people yelling that at me while I'm sharing this illustration. It is so hard to get it into our heads that our money is God's money, that everything is his. And our job is to be a money manager, generously reflecting who God is. So I was at the library this week, and, I, and there on the shelf was a book by Bill Clinton called Giving. And, uh, well, since I'm preaching on generosity, I thought this would be interesting. I wonder what the former president has to say about giving. So I'm flipping through this book. And, uh, you know, Bill Clinton had a, has had a lot of contacts with a lot of people since he left office. And one of those is Warren Buffett. Now, Warren Buffett, several years ago, decided to give away $30 billion to, of all people, Bill Gates. You know, so... If the two of them didn't have enough money already, Bill Gates didn't have enough. But the reason he did this is because Bill and Melinda Gates gave away the vast amount of their fortune to their own nonprofit. They started a nonprofit, a charity organization, and they gave away the vast fortune. And so Warren Buffett said, you know what? I got more money than I could ever spend or ever need. I don't even need 1% of what I got. And he gave away $30 billion to them. And so Bill Clinton called up Warren Buffett just to, to congratulate him. And, uh, and Bill Clinton asked him this question. He said, what prompted you to give away the bulk of your fortune? And Warren Buffett replied this way. He said, I got rich because investors thought I could make more investing their money than they could. Bill and Melinda Gates can spend my money better than I could. Buffett recognized what so many of us miss is that how a money manager spends his money is as important as how he makes the money. God wants us to be a people who reflect God. God cares about how we invest his money. But he's really interested in how we spend it. And namely, he wants us as his money managers to reflect his heart. He wants us to give it away. Since God's a generous God, we should be generous managers of his money. So uh, recently, I'm, I'm helping my mother, um, just since my dad passed away, I'm getting, I've been getting more involved in the last few years, of just helping her try to ma- manage her retirement so that she has enough to last for the rest of her days. And, and so we, we sat down with uh, her money manager, her investment broker, and we talked through, uh, you know, where she, she should invest this uh, retirement that she has. And as we were sitting in their conversation, here, here's what came through my mind. What would my dad have wanted? What would my dad have wanted? Because I would want to invest this in a way that would reflect my dad's desires. That's how God wants you and I to think. How does God want it? How do we do this in a way that would be pleasing to God? How do we spend? How do we use the resources that he's provided us, whether they're little or great? How do we do that in a way? that is honoring to him. Just like I'm trying to help my mom invest her money in a way that's honoring to my dad, 
So God wants us to invest and use his money in a way that's honoring to him. And I can tell you that that is through generosity. That was, if you didn't hear last week's sermon, you need to go back and listen to it because it sets the foundation for everything we're going to talk about. God is a generous God. You've been given a job. The wealthiest client in the entire universe has invested his fortune with you. He's told you that he would like you to spend it and invest it like he would do. So the question for you and I then is how do we do that? How do we manage God's money in a way that reflects his generosity? That's why I want to go to 1 Timothy 6. We started in 1 Timothy 6 last week, and now we're just going to continue there by looking at what the Apostle Paul comes back to. He, he talks about money a little bit in 6, in the beginning of 6, and at the end of 6, he comes back to talking about it. And so I want to look at that, and I want to say, how do we, how do we become generous managers like God does? Well, the first thing we need to understand is how not to manage money. And here's what managing poorly looks like. Let's look at managing poorly from verse 17. In verse 17, now remember, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul is instructing his protege, Timothy, who he's mentored and brought along in the faith, and who now Timothy, Paul left Timothy in Ephesus, which is like the hub and capital of, of the region and has become a sending point for the gospel all over the area. And so the, the city of Ephesus is here in this area. Paul's writing to Timothy. It's very important how the city of Ephesus behaves. And so Paul is telling Timothy, this is how you're supposed to instruct people. In verse 17, he says, Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The first word there that's really interesting is command. Command those who are rich in this world. The, uh, the word command here means an order. It, it's the idea, this is directed at those who are rich in the world. And, and these rich, these orders that, that Paul is giving, he's saying, this is an order. Order them to live this way. The rich were possibly landowners, but they were wealthy people who probably came to faith with a lot of money. So when they came to Jesus, they already had a lot of worldly resources at their disposal. Now what's really interesting here is what he's going to tell the rich in this world to do. And this is why grammar is so fascinating. Because Paul basically uses a, a, a grammatical structure called infinitives to lay out a bullet point list of how to command the wealthy in this world to deal with their money. And so it's basically he's going to bullet point it. And the first bullet point he says here is, are the nots. In other words, listen, if you're going to be a manager of God's money, don't do these things. All right? And the first thing he says is, don't be arrogant. Command them not to be arrogant. Arrogant is literally, the, the, it means the word proud. It means to think you're greater than someone else. else. Wealth, wealth creates in us the illusion of importance. It, it creates in us this illusion of self-importance. Wealth does this to us. We think, okay, I'm wealthy, I'm rich. I naturally think somewhere that I'm better than someone else. It can create that in us. That's a temptation. I'm a self-made man or woman. Or the temptation is to say, well, if someone is poorer than I am, they must not be as smart as I am because if they were as smart as I am, they'd be making as much money as I am. 
this is the temptation for those who are rich. Command them not to be arrogant. Now the next bullet point he says is here's so that's how you manage money poorly is you be, you're arrogant about it. The next uh, command is and not to put their hope in wealth. Which one of us doesn't put our hope in wealth? I mean, really, whether you have money or don't. I once talked to an individual who was was uh, probably wealthy, I'm guessing, and uh, this individual was talking to me about. Uh, just being honest about money. And he said, my greatest temptation is that, my greatest fear in life is that I'd save so much money that I don't need God. Most of us probably can't relate to that. But we can relate to hoarding of other kinds. Because really saving is just hoarding. We're just hoarding resources so that we have them so we don't need God. How many of us have hoarded stuff? How many of us have hoarded things? Our houses are filled and filled to the brim with things and things and things in case we come to the point where we don't have enough money to buy more things so we have the things there. I'll never forget as a teenager, we were moving my grandmother out of her home into her retirement home. And so we went into her house. Who She had probably lived in this house for over 50 years. I mean, she had lived in this house a long time, 40, 50 years, somewhere in there. And we were cleaning out her house, and we rolled up a big dumpster. We put it in the front yard, and we went, started going through her basement. And she, in her basement, had stacks and stacks of the old McDonald's styrofoam containers. I don't know if you remember that. McDonald's used to give you your hamburger in like a styrofoam box instead of a wrapper. And she'd saved, I mean, just stacks and stacks of these styrofoam containers. She'd feed her cat out of them. And just stacks of newspapers were just piled up because either she was going to get around to reading them someday or couldn't bear with the thought of it. I mean, just that's the way her entire house was. It was just filled with stuff. And when the day came for her to move out, we took her away and we started dumping. And I always wondered why my grandma did that. And, and I think partially the reason is is because she lived through the Great Depression. And she remembered what it was like to have nothing. I mean, you put, I put myself in her shoes and she thought, if it all goes south again, at least I'll have a dish for my cat and I can burn the newspaper and I'll have these things. I, I can't even imagine what it was like to live through that. She, in some way, was putting her hope in stuff. Which one of us doesn't do that? I mean, we're all guilty of it. But I love what Paul reminds us of. Money and possessions, remind them not to put their hope in there. Why? Don't put your hope in there because it's so uncertain. Money and possessions are uncertain. The housing market might collapse again and your house might be worth nothing. Runaway inflation could happen. There could be a global crisis. At any moment, the dollar could implode and be worth nothing. Or we could have rampant inflation, which would make it worth nothing. I think it's fascinating. I read um, Eric Metaxas' biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer as he's setting the stage to understand the rise of Nazism and the rise of where the German people were at. He was trying to describe what it was like in Germany before World War II. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's father, before World War II, before this time, he didn't spend his life investing in a whole life policy. His dad uh, was a pretty intelligent dude, and he put money away into this whole life policy so that when the policy matured, he could cash it out and have something to live on for retirement. 
Inflation in Germany was so bad that when uh, Bonhoeffer's dad cashed in his whole life policy because it matured and he got a check in the mail, that check was worth enough in practical dollars of the day to go out to dinner. So they took the check, they went out to dinner. Can, we can't even imagine what it would be like if a gallon of milk was all of a sudden $50 or $100. We can't even comprehend what that would be like overnight. That's why the Apostle Paul reminds us that wealth is so uncertain. Put your hope in God. Money is uncertain. God is certain. And that is countercultural. Now, okay, before we go any further, we need to time out. Because some of you are like, Dave, I'm not rich. So this text applies to the rich, and that's not me. So can I just take a nap for the rest of the time? Because, you know, it's, Paul's talking to the rich. But here's... First of all, I, I think these concepts apply true to all of us, no matter how much money we have. Um, if anyone's ever played the lottery, functionally you're putting your hope in wealth, aren't you? You're hoping that you'll get a big payday because you think life would be better or easier if you had all this money. Even though you read the stories, that it's something like over half of the people who win the lottery, their lives are ruined. And even though we read this, we think, well, that wouldn't be me. And and we think if we had all this wealth, it would be better. Which one of us hasn't done that? Which one of us hasn't dreamed of riches because of the comfort and no worries? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You don't have to be wealthy for money to grab a hold of your heart. It can happen to anyone. It's a danger. And so why Paul is specifically commanding those who are rich, the second question we have is who's rich? See, wealth is not evil. Last week I talked about this at length. Wealth is not evil. The text clearly says in verse 17, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Wealth is not evil. First Corinthians, uh, I mean, First Timothy 6, the, a few verses earlier says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. We talked about this at length last week. Money is not the problem. It's where we put our hope. For those of you who would say, I'm not rich, well, I want to know what rich is. What is rich? Do you know what the average yearly income, if you put all the income earners in the world together, do you know what the average year income in today's dollars is? $1,125 is the average yearly income. I'd like to know which one of us in the room isn't wealthy by those standards. You see, the truth is it doesn't matter how much money you have. As a money manager, money has a grab on our heart. And that's the way to be a poor manager is to let it take hold. So how do we combat that? Well, that's the second thing that Paul talks about in verse 18. First, it was managing poorly. Now let's talk about the opposite because the, the way to combat that is to manage generously, to be generous like God is. And here we have more of these infinitives, more bullet points. The first two were, okay, command you to, to not do this and not do this. Now he's going to say, here's how you do it. Here's how you do it generously. And so the first one is to do good. Verse 18, command them, instruct them, command them to do good. That's the first one, to do good. This word is so fascinating. The only other place this word to do good right here is used is in Acts chapter 14, verse 17, where Paul is talking. And where it's, the reference here is that he says, God has shown kindness on basically everyone by giving you rain 
and crops. It's, th- it's this overflow idea. That, so even the rain and the crops are part of God's generosity. It's that picture of overflow. So com- command them to use their money in a way that overflows like that. Out of abundance, he's showering. God showers his kindness on people. To do good is not just merely coaching your little league team or taking your stuff. It, it, it's, it's more than that. It's about taking a, from what you have and letting it flow abundantly and lavishly on others. That's how we manage generously. Being like that. God showers his blessing on people. So we shower our blessing on others in a way that does good. Overflow. Like that's, that's a picture here. You want to manage generously, manage out of overflow. Let it flow out, just like God showers his kindness on people. Command them to do that, to do good. The second thing he says is to be rich in good deeds. Okay, so here we're going to talk about actions. Those who have money tend to think that money can solve the world's problem. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a stereotype. It's a generalism. But people who have money tend to think that money can solve the world's problems. We think if we just... Even as a country, we think about this, don't we? As we look at the national budget, if we just threw more dollars from our national budget over here or there, that would solve it. And, and I think this reminder that Paul has is a reminder for all of us. That it's not just our money. We might be tempted to think, oh, if I just give more money away, that might solve my generosity problem. But here's a reminder to give your time as well as your money. When our global missions team was investigating initially where we would be involved in the world, one of the principles we talked about was just this idea of not wanting to be involved in a place where we are only willing to give our money and not our time. Because we wanted, we wanted both. We want to say, God, we're all in in this. We want to go someplace where some of our body can invest time, some can invest money, some can do both. We don't want to invest our only in money or only in time. We want to do both. I think that's a good reminder for us to be rich in good deeds. So you want to be a generous money manager? One, do, let, let your money flow generously. Be good. But then also to do good deeds. And then he goes right to the point here. And the third bullet point in this one is he says, uh, he says to, to do good, to be rich in good deeds. And then last, thirdly, to be generous. As our our income goes up and down, don't we tend to tighten our fist a little bit? We tend to say, okay, I'm going to be less generous because I'm lit- making less money now. And we tighten it. It's like we, it's like we grab a hold of it e- even tighter around it. But, but Paul tells us, be generous. Open your hands up. I love that picture of an open hand. It's an open hand. It's saying, here, I got a dime in my pocket. That's the extent of the money I have on me today. And so I got a dime. You know, well, I could think about, well, I can't think of a lot of things I can do with this dime, but I'm sure there's, I could buy maybe a, a piece of gum or something with it, one piece. And, you know, I, I can hold this open and I can say, you know, th- here, this, this is, or I can close my fist tight and I can say, this money, I'm going to hold on to it. Generosity says we open it up. We say, God, it's yours, whatever you want to do with us. It brings you joy to be generous. Let it bring me joy. There is this joy in generosity that is so cool. So uh, um, I got to tell you about uh, 
an important change that might be coming to Waukee Community Church. Um, uh, until recently, we had a gentleman who uh, bought donuts for us every week. He loved church plants. He loved celebrating church plants. And he bought our donuts for eight years. He bought us donuts. And his circumstance in, in life has changed a little bit, and he can't do that anymore. And so uh, he was talking to me about it and just said, you know, I, I don't go to church there, but I imagine how the joy on people's faces are eating those donuts. And so that's why I've done it for eight years. I don't know how much money that is. That's a lot of donuts. And it, rather than saying, I hope those people appreciated it, he said, it brought me so much joy to imagine the joy on their faces as I flowed and gave generously in donuts. Uh, that's a pretty amazing attitude. It really is amazing. Because what he discovered is that in opening his hand up and saying in a simple thing like sugary donuts, I can find great joy in being generous. Like that's what Paul is telling us. Is that don't tighten down, open up, and then you'll find joy. Generosity makes our heart sing. <laughs> I, once at a different church, I was listening to the guys who were the, counting the money in the back, and we were, while the pastor was preaching, we were back there and, and, and talking when I should have been listening. Anyway, uh, but they're counting the money, and these guys were grumbling because the offering basket was just filled with pennies that day. I'm not kidding, like, you know, they're counting all these pennies and loose change. It was just filled, and they were grumbling. They said, some kid probably brought all this in and dumped it in the bag, and I got to count it all. And I wanted to slap those guys, because I had seen the kid bring his money that day. He had been saving it into his piggy bank, and he'd brought it before the service and dumped it into the basket to weigh it down. And he had so much, that kid had so much joy, that little boy, so much joy on his face, loading down the offering with his loose change. That's generosity. Generosity brings us joy. That's why Paul says, command them to be generous. And then the last thing he says here is to be willing to share. We manage generously when we're willing to share. One of the hallmarks of Christianity is our dedication to caring for each other. At Waukee Community Church, I've watched it over and over and over. It's so beautiful, you guys. I, I, as a pastor, sometimes get privy to seeing these things happen because people want to share. I've watched adoptions get funded and cars get repaired and taxes get paid and rent get paid and tuition get paid. And I've watched people buy Christmas presents for each other and missions funded and mortgage payments made and groceries bought and medical bills and goats purchased. I'm not kidding you. And meals bought and wells dug and bedding provided and all anonymously. It, it's, I regularly will have someone go, hey, uh, I got something in here for this other person. Could you give that to them so they don't know that I'm, I'm giving that? And so it's like, there's this joy when you walk over and say, somebody gave this to you. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what need you have, but there you go. And who get? I can't say. It's anonymous. It's amazing. There is this beauty of managing generously when we're willing to share with others. And what I love is, is watching that the giver is blessed and so is the one who receives it's a blessing. When we put our hope in God, not money, we can live generously like God. And the very act of generosity is a huge reward in itself. But that's not all. Okay, some of you might say, Dave, 
Dave, that sounds so great. I want to do that, but I don't have anything to give away. Okay, now this is going to be hard, but I want you to l- read a verse with me that blew my mind away as I was preparing for this. Because I've seen this verse before. It's Ephesians. Can you put it up there, Doug? So Ephesians 4.27, listen to this. Paul says, and this first part's going to make sense. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands. Now, that makes sense. Well, you should steal no longer because, you know, the stealing's wrong and we want to do what's right. And so provide for yourself. Don't, don't be lazy. Get up off your tush and go work so you can provide for yourself. And, you know, stop stealing from others because that's not right. And, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. If, if you can work, go work, he says. Okay, great. That makes sense. But that's not what Paul says. He doesn't say, he doesn't say stop stealing for those reasons at all. He says stop stealing. Why? so that you can share with those in need. So the greatest thing we should do is we should pursue wealth so we can give it away. Oh my goodness, this is an amazing concept. When we realize that God gave us all these things, whether you have big or little, to be generous, this is exciting. The Bible says pursue wealth. It's good so that you can give it away. (laughs) Wow, this is amazing. Now, why would we do this? This is my third point, and this is Paul's third point here in verse 19. Why would we do this? And this just gets more exciting, you guys. This is so exciting. Why would we do this? We would do this because there are rewards involved. There are rewards of generous management. Look at verse 19. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. When we use God's resources generously like he wants, there are rewards involved for us. Randy Alcorn has a great line. It's just one of, from his little book, The Treasure Principle. If you've never read it and you want to read it, I would recommend it. It's like 100 pages long. You can read it in about probably 45 minutes. It's a quick read. But in his book, he's talking about how the fact that there's no one carries a you know, pulls a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? You can't take it with you. And so this concept of you can't take it with you. But he says this line here that's fascinating. He says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Love that concept. The Bible says it's okay to pursue rewards. And this is so countercultural. The, the, the world says do something good for a feeling or do something good for just moral reasons because it's the right thing to do. But the Christian is generous because she's investing in her own future. Listen to me read from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Look, I put it up here so you can read it. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moss and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Heaven is not the reward. Heaven is given to everyone who has faith in Jesus. When you are generous with God's resources, you are sending them ahead for you to have a reward in the new kingdom. And man, like Peg, I'm ready for you to like take over because Peg loves 
the concept of rewards. She's probably studied it more than anyone I know. And it's, it's just this amazing concept. Is that for the Christian, you can invest in a reward for yourself in eternity today. Heaven is not the reward. It's given to everyone. There are more rewards than that that you can have in the new kingdom. And in a sense, this is craziness. But you are sending God's resources back to him so that he can manage them for you. So God's given you his resources and say, said, here, you manage them well. And one of the ways you manage them well is you give them back by being generous so that he can invest them for your future. So when I was 16 years old, I bought a car. I worked at Hy-Vee. I worked my tail off to pay for that car. And in over a couple of years, the money I'd saved and the money I'd made, I paid the car off. And, uh, and then I got ready to go to college, and I was going to the Moody Bible Institute, which is in downtown Chicago, and I didn't want to take my car there, um, and they wouldn't let freshmen have cars anyway. So I sold my car, and I needed to put my money somewhere so that when I needed a car again, or when I needed something to do with it, I would have that money. So I was trying to figure out as an 18-year-old kid, where do I, I sold the car, where do I put this money? And uh, I remember talking to my dad, and my dad said, well, here's the deal. Um, I've got a client who owns a company, and I've been watching this stock in this company for 20 years. I'm, and he's like, I don't know of any insider deals or anything like that. I'm just telling you, based on the price of the stock, now is the time to invest. Now i got some choices here. I could say, well, Dad, you're an idiot, and I don't believe you. And or you may think you know what you're talking about, but you don't really. Or I think, no, I'm, he's my dad. I trust him. Okay, Dad. So I put the money and I invested it where he told me to. And you know what? God was good. That money doubled and actually ended up funding seminary for, for me and to, for a large, pun, uh, per, uh, a large part of the living expenses of just how expensive it was. And, and God was so good with that. And I was so grateful that I listened to my dad. If you listen to God with how to manage the money that he's given to you, you can't go wrong. God's got a deal on insider trading here. <laughs> he knows everything. So when we invest generously, we're investing in our own future. There are rewards for you. And the beauty of generosity is huge. So not only in this life do we get rewards from being the giver, but we get rewards for eternity. And one day we'll stand before our master and he will say, which I'm a words of affirmation guy, so this is, I can't wait for this moment where I stand before him and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. About nine, eight or nine years ago now, I went to India on a missions trip. Um, went with a former bunch of pastors. We were preaching at this conference in India and uh, for, for Indian pastors. So we're in India. I'd never been, I'd never traveled anywhere before. And I was a little bit nervous because uh, I'm a little bit picky eater. It's just kind of, it, my wife can just shake her head. Yes, Dave, you're picky. Okay, I'm a little bit of a picky eater. And I was terrified uh, that they were going to do something like this you know, and I wasn't going to be able to eat it. And so I remember it was about four days into the conference, and this one um, local businessman 
pulled us all aside, all the pastors, and said to the guy who was coordinating the trip, you're coming to my house for lunch today. It's just around the corner, come to my house for lunch. So we all went to his house for lunch. We sat around this big table in this very meager dwelling, and this Christian brother who suffered more persecution than you and I can ever fathom, and who, even as a businessman, made just a meager existence, had made a spread for us. Like the table was full. And I'm not kidding you. Like I looked at this table and he put something in front of me. It looked like a hard-boiled goose egg that someone had vomited on. I'm not kidding you. Like it was just disgusting. And I looked at this and and then, and I looked at the other things that were being passed around. There were things that I can't even tell you what they were and they smelled just awful. And as this gentleman served us personally, which was a huge act of humility on his part in that culture to do that. And as he put that in front of us, I looked up and saw just the joy on his face and the realization that one of the local Indian pastors told me later that he probably gave up a month's worth of salary to provide us fat Americans with this meal. The joy on his face of being generous with us made me choke down everything that I could possibly get down and not throw it all up because I so appreciated and the joy that he received. Joy, joy, joy. When we are generous like God wants us to be, we're investing in the future and we receive joy right now. So you may notice we haven't even talked about giving to Waukee Community Church yet. <laughs> I mean, we haven't even gotten there. How, you know, we were like, what, what, wait, so I'm not even telling you where to be generous or how to be generous yet. We're just looking at what Jesus says. We're just looking at what the Apostle Paul tells us. How do we manage money? How do we do this? And next week, we're going to start to tackle the question, how much is generous? We're going to look at the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation and see what God has to say about how we should give away our money. For now, all I want you to ask is two questions of yourself. Actually, I really want you to just ask God to reveal this to you. One, would you say, God, help me to see whether I'm generous or a hoarder. Help me to trust you. Just ask that. Ask a hard question. God, would you show me? Am I generous or am I a hoarder? Do I trust you? It doesn't matter if you have a lot or a little. It doesn't matter. Just ask the question. And then the second question I would want to ask is, would you just say, God, will you help me to find joy in generosity? Those are two pretty life-changing questions. When you just say, God, honestly, help me to see whether I'm a hoarder or whether I'm generous. God, help me to trust you. And when then you flip it and say, will you help me find joy in being generous? Those two questions will change your life. We have a generous God. We should be a generous people. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this day where we can celebrate, God, your generosity, who you are. You are an incredibly generous God, and we simply ask that you would help us to be a generous people. Help us to be a generous people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.